welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Are you guys ready to rock and roll today? Okay, good. We're going to need some energy and I'm going to need your enthusiasm because we're tackling a difficult topic this morning. Before I do that, I'll just say this. Um, if you have been around Awaken and you're a part of this community, you know that we're part of the Evangelical Covenant Church. And our annual meeting for the Evangelical Covenant Church is coming up about 10 days from now in the city of Omaha. Not sure who was on that committee. But uh, Omaha it is. We will go there. And truth be told, some very important uh, discussions and votes and things that will be happening at the annual meeting. And so if you call Awaken Home uh, as your pastor, I would like to... I'd like to invite you to be in prayer and to be thinking about, uh, so Awaken gets three delegates based on the number of um, partners or members we have. So myself, Jenna, who used to be sitting right there, and then Dane Pedersen, who serves on our advisory team, our board here, will be representing you at our annual meeting as delegates. And so I just, I want to invite you to pray with us and to be thinking of us. If you are, if, if you are a fasting person, um, I would, this is worthy of fasting and um, for me, really, uh, fast for the name of Jesus. Fast for the name of the gospel and the good news of God and, and God's work in the world. Uh, that that would be uh, front and center. And uh, that we as a denomination would, um, would really live into that. Does that sound good? So I would really appreciate that if you... I'm, I'm very anxious. People keep asking me, like, how, how are you feeling about the annual meeting? I'm like, I don't know. I just want it to be over. So we know, like, which way are we going here, people? Which way is this ship headed? So, <sighs> Then there's this sermon. I got the annual meeting. I was trying to prepare for this sermon. Um, my gosh. We're, this is called Lost in Translation. If you've never been to Awaken before, we, we do this series in the summer where we, we've, um, we pick the hardest passages we can find in the Bible and we try to understand them. You know, like, it's a great summer activity, right? Keeps everybody on their toes. Uh, lots of times, pastors and churches just, like, gloss over, conveniently skip the passages we often find ourselves in. And we do this for a number of reasons. Number one, I might be a glutton for punishment. That's fair. But um, two and three and four, uh, this is rooted in our commitment to the scriptures. This is rooted in a belief that the Bible is one of the ways in which God speaks and God wants to reveal God's self to us. And if that's true, then we want to we go all in. We want to like dive right into it, where, whatever the passage might be. Uh, because we're committed to that, and we believe that that is, in fact, true, that God wants to speak and does so through Scripture, has and, and will continue to. Um, also, this is about gathering around the well that is Jesus. Uh, we've talked about this quite a bit at Awaken, and so if, in fact, God is revealing God's self through this text and, and Jesus is, is the center of it, uh, then it, should, it, it, it follows that it's the center for us. Um, so, that's why we do this. Uh, we want to we recover or, or experience the Bible as the altar where we meet the living God, which is a phrase that the old covenanters would always say. They said we would gather around it like a warm fire on a cold winter's night. Think about winter? Think of, no, don't do that. We'll come back to that later. So, that's why we do this series, and that's what we're going to do today. Matthew chapter 19. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there, and please stand, if you can, for the reading of the scriptures. Buckle up, friends. This is a good one. Verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked him, 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted, to divorce, permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Thanks for asking. But, that, but it is not this way from the, or it, it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, uh, we do so with, uh, well, I'll speak for myself. I do so with a deep commitment to um, hearing and, and listening to your voice through it. And so I pray that uh, you've said in your word that it's alive and it's active, it's breathing, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, it can cut through the things that matter and the things that don't, and so I pray that it would do that today uh, on this topic, uh, which is such a difficult one uh, for so many different reasons. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would gift the preacher with clarity, that the, my words would be uh, precise and nothing unnecessary would be said. I pray that you would guide me, that, you, that, that if anything that I'm saying is not true, that it would just fall off the end of the stage, never to be remembered again. But if it's true, God, I pray that it would land, that it would lodge, that it would be planted deep in our hearts, that it would take root and shape us and form us into what it means to be the people of God, uh, following you, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said together, amen and amen. You may be seated. I figured what a great way to celebrate Father's Day than to talk about divorce and remarriage, right? <laughs> Uh, there is no good Sunday to, to preach this sermon. To be clear, Mother's Day, Father's Day, nobody's day, they're all bad Sundays to preach a sermon on divorce and remarriage. But be that as it may, it's in here. Uh, that was the word of the Lord. There we go. There we are. Thanks be to God. Uh, peace of Christ. What was it? May the peace of, what, what did they say? Peace be with you and also with you. <clears throat> Sorry. It's in here. Um, that's in the Bible. And so we're going to see what we can do with that. Uh, what, here's what I'm, I'm going to begin with what I'm not going to do today, and then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to try to do today. What I'm not going to do today is, um, is solve, the, solve the debate. Uh, this, is, you know, this has been a raging debate in the church for a very long time. Let's go with that. And I'm not going to solve that problem or that issue. I'm not going to give a silver bullet to you, right? Um, I'm not going to give you a formula that you can then apply in any situation where you might find this topic of divorce and or remarriage. That's not what I'm going to do. I think you all know that that's not going to work. Um, that's actually a disservice when pastors or people like me do that and they give you things that seem like they're a formula and all you have to do then is apply them to the context you find yourself in. We'll see that as we look at the passages that talk about this in the Bible, it's very different based on who's talking, Moses, Jesus, or Paul. Um, and I would argue that's because they're addressing particular situations and they offer particular ideas in each of those contexts, which are not all exactly the same. So I'm not going to give you a silver bullet, I'm not going to give you a formula, and I'm going to attempt to not produce guilt and shame uh, in the pews at the church this morning as we talk about this. I think for many of us, myself included, when this topic of conversation comes up in a religious setting, it often goes there really quickly. 
guilt and shame. Uh, and I'm just not going to, I'm going to try not to do that. Uh, <clears throat> I hope that what I do offer and what I am going to do today is to try to understand the passages that are found in the scriptures and to sort of see them as they are and for what they are. And then I'm going to try to offer um, what I think we can say with some level of certainty about the nature of God and about the nature of marriage and about how we find ourselves in the midst of all of that. So does anyone want to take my place? No takers. Okay. Um, Jesus, in Matthew 19, is being tested by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a group of people, religious people like you and I, maybe a little bit more devout, maybe a little bit more studied. They would have known the Bible backwards and forwards. These people would have known exactly the question they were asking Jesus, and they were testing him. They said, is it lawful, or when is it lawful for a man to divorce divorce his wife? Is it for any reason? And they would have predicted, they would have thought that Jesus was going to go somewhere Deuteronomy chapter 24, because Moses talks about that, and so as a Jew in Jesus' day, a rabbi would always be engaging with Moses and Torah and the people that would have come before him. So they thought that's where he was going to go. But interestingly, Jesus sort of flips the table. He actually goes to a completely different place when answering the question first, which I find fascinating. But to any of us who grew up around the church and who grew up around Christianity, this is a very hot and debated topic, uh, Protestants and Catholics alike. And um, I recognize that um, for many, I I know of stories of people who have experienced divorce and then have been denied communion at the Lord's table in churches. I know of people who have experienced divorce and have been somewhat um, given a proverbial scarlet letter where their status in the community is forever changed and they are always seen with that blemish on them. And that's the experience for many For some of us uh, in the room, we've experienced the divorce of our parents or people in our family. And so I recognize that while this may not touch me particularly or specifically, that it is very close to all of us, I'm guessing, in the room. And so hopefully, as we sort of think about this more deeply, um, there's something that may be here for you today, even, even in a bizarre and difficult topic. So what are the five passages in the Bible that even talk about divorce? Here they are. It's Matthew chapter 19, which we just read, of which there is a parallel in Mark chapter 10. If you didn't know, there's four Gospels, and so often when a story is talked about in one Gospel, it's repeated in another. Or when Jesus has an interaction in one, it's often talked about or or, or, uh, given in another Gospel. Now, sometimes there's variances, there's differences, and in this case, it's pretty stock. It's the same interaction, minus like one or two sentences or sort of uh, adverbs in there, you know, different uh, grammar things, but for the most part... Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10, it's the same interaction. The Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, why or when can a man divorce his wife? Interestingly, it's not when can a woman divorce her husband. Did you notice that? Jesus may have um, uh, uh, lived in a, a patriarchal day. Highly patriarchal. And so the question is, when can a man divorce his wife? Like, what are the reasons? Because we all know that women are property. They can't vote. They're good for childbearing and for sex and for cleaning and that kind of thing. But, like, they don't have rights. So when can I, as a man, divorce my wife? That's the question they're asking. That could be another sermon for another day, but I'm just going to gloss over a few of these, these, these passages where we find this topic. Um, again, I mentioned Jesus doesn't go where they think he's going to go. 
They think he's going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where Moses is engaged with the people of Israel who are asking him the same question. When can a man divorce his wife? And Moses says, like, you know, uh, uh, well, I'll just read it. It's right here. Deuteronomy 24. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, and if she, after, after she leaves his house, becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her isn't allowed to marry her again, right? It's this whole, like, jurisprudence, and if that, then this, what about this, then that. Deuteronomy, Moses is, is, is actually... I know this is really hard to, to like get our heads around, but Deuteronomy 24, in its time and in its day, is actually a giant leap forward. It's really progressive. I know that sounds wild, but for the people in, in Moses' day, right, if a woman wasn't given a certificate of divorce or some kind of proof that this happened and it was done legally, she was kind of de like destitute. Like there were no future options for her. So really all one could do is beg or sell their own bodies. So for a woman, Moses is saying, no, you have to give her a certificate of divorce. You have to give her that dignity, that honor, so that she, may, she might have a future and a hope in front of her. So Moses is kind of doing this interesting thing. And, he's, and, and Jesus says, I, he only said that because your hearts were hard. So Moses is like t uh, addressing a particular issue in his day and his age. The Pharisees who come to Jesus think Jesus is going to talk about that, but he actually goes to a different place. Fascinatingly, he goes to Genesis chapter 2. Have you ever heard of Brene Brown? Do you guys know Brene Brown? She says this. She says, questions elicit answers of their kind. If you ask a bad question, you're probably going to get a bad answer, right? If you're asking the wrong question, you're going to get the wrong answer. I think what Jesus is doing here is saying, it's the wrong question, people. You come to me and you ask me, when is it lawful? When is it legal for me to divorce my wife? And he's like, back up the train, y'all. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. The two, they will become one flesh. And then he adds, so the two are no longer one, uh, or, or they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What is Jesus doing? He's essentially saying, friends, you are missing the forest for the trees here. We're talking about marriage. And when you begin the conversation on when is it legal for me to divorce someone, you've missed the whole point of the institution itself, which is to be a beautiful picture of the divine love to humanity. That God would covenant God's self, would come to us and bind us together in relationship with God, and that then marriage is a mirror of that picture. So Jesus says, essentially, when you start with the wrong question, you're inevitably going to get the wrong answer. So let's back it up. When I first planted Awaken, I remember sitting in a park on, in Cherokee Heights with 30 people, and I said, all right, everybody, close your eyes. Go ahead and you can do that if you want to right now. I said, could you imagine a church that was known for love? Can you imagine a community of people who were bound together in mission for the good news of the gospel, for the sake of God in the world. Can you imagine a church community that wasn't judgmental first, that wasn't dogmatic first, that wasn't arrogant first, but that was humble and kind and compassionate? Can you imagine a group of people gathered around a well, the well of Jesus, the teachings, the life, the death, the resurrection, 
who were committed to that and that in the world. Can you imagine that as the picture? You can open your eyes if you will. I was like casting a vision for the future and saying, that's where we're headed. That's what this is supposed to be. And I, if you notice, week in and week out, I stand here before you and I offer that as the picture. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's the telos, right? That's where, it's, that's where we're going. What Jesus does in this moment, which is just a fascinating moment of human psychology, they're asking, when can I divorce my wife? And he says, oh, you've missed it. Let me back up. This whole thing is supposed to be, when it works, a beautiful vision, portrait, imagination of the future, of what God is like and what we are like in relationship with God. So Jesus says, you're sort of missing the forest for the trees. So you've got Matthew 19, you've got Mark 10, you've got Deuteronomy chapter 24, uh, in, G- in Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus actually does engage with Moses when he says this. It has been said, anyone who divorces their wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's another passage that's in here. And then the last one is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul basically... Similar to Moses, who's engaging his day and his age. Similar to Jesus, who's engaging his day and his people in front of him. Paul says this. To the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So he goes through this whole conversation about what happens if a, if a person is a believer and the other person isn't a believer? How do you live that out? Like, is that grounds for divorce? Is that not? And he says, like, if you can stay together, stay together. And if the Lord would work, the Lord would work. But if not, if the, 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 the non-believing party leaves, then okay, you can, you can remarry. The point being this. In all of these scenarios, the person addressing or being addressed is offering their contextual thoughts on the matter. Which is why I'm not going to give you a formula, right? Back up to where I started. Why I'm not going to say, it's this thus saith the Lord, or this thus saith Micah, this thus saith the Pope, or the the church, or the pulpit, right? But that this is a very complicated topic, and it is not one size fits all. So I'm not going to give you that. I, I think that's actually a disservice. What can we say from Scripture about marriage, and about divorce, and about remarriage, are there, is there anything that we know? And I'm going to fly high level here. I'm not going to get down in the weeds because I have 30 minutes. What do we know? I'll start with this. What we know is that God is always faithful in covenant. If you read the Bible for long enough, you will be hard-pressed to not find the idea of covenant entering the conversation at some point. I would argue that one of the most important ideas and metaphors in the Bible is this idea of covenant. And covenant is simply this. It's simply an agreement between two parties where commitments are made. It's a partnership, if you will, where two parties sort of commit to a mutual goal together and move forward. Right? This is the beginning of the Bible. God creates the world, invites Adam and Eve, the first humans, to partner with God, to be in covenant relationship with God, acting as stewards and caretakers of the good world. If you know the story and you paid attention to the flannel graph in grade school, you know that the first humans opt out and they choose their own way. That's where the song is inspired. You can go your own way. This is what the Bible calls sin 
and uh, argue, uh, the, the argument is that like, the brokenness that we experience in the world is a result of this opting out of this initial co covenant invitation God has given. Everybody tracking so far, okay? Now, then God comes and says, okay, I'm going to take a subset of these humans, Genesis chapter 12, we'll call them Israel. Through Israel, I'm going to bless all of the world. There will be healing and restoration and hope and love and mercy and justice that flows from and through this group of people. So he enters a covenant with Israel. Israel, you do this, I'll do this. You be faithful, and healing and restoration and hope and justice will come and flow like a, like a mighty river coming down the mountain. Now, this is the fascinating part, and I find this to be just so exciting. You may not find it as excited as I do, but you can just draft off of my excitement, okay? Genesis chapter 15, we find this bizarre scenario where God has said, I'm going to enter covenant relationship with you, Israel. You do this, I'll do this, and together, what will happen from this covenant relationship is healing and hope and restoration and, and forgiveness, right? So to make this deal sealed, to make this like ironclad, to sort of ratify this covenant in the ancient world, they would take an animal, a, a, a sacrificial animal, and they would actually split the animal in half. Somewhat gross. That never makes it to the flannel graph, by the way. And then the two parties would arm in arm, they would walk between the two halves of the animal as if to say, I will take responsibility for my portion of this covenant and I will live up to it. I will be faithful to it. But look at what it says in Genesis 15. As the sun was setting, this is chapter 15, verse 12, Abram fell into a deep sleep. So Abram's not even awake for this covenant agreement, right? He is just cashed out like a high schooler. The Lord says, here's what's going to happen. He tells them about the slavery in Egypt. He tells them about getting rescued from Egypt. He tells them about the, the land and the possessions and all the inheritance and all the things that God will do through this covenant. He gives them the whole story in one fell swoop. And then in verse 17, it says this. When the sun had set, darkness had fallen, a smoking brazier, not brazier, brazier, I think they should change that word, I really do, with a blazing torch, so these two light things appear and pass between the pieces. What has just been said? God enters covenant with Israel, but when it comes to the moment when the two parties are to ratify and seal the agreement, God takes the seat of both parties. As if to say to Abram, whether you are faithful or not, I will be. Whether you live into this agreement or not, I will be faithful on your behalf even. Now enter the story of Jesus and you get, you get the gospel of Matthew, which begins with this long genealogy about Jewish bloodlines and you're like, why bother, dude? No one cares. We do care because Jesus is Israel. Jesus the true representative of Israel, that which Israel was to be in the world, sacrificial love even unto death for its enemy, and God in the same person, Jesus, completes the vocation and the telos, the invitation, the covenant responsibility of Israel. God fulfills both ends of the deal. My point is this. What we know about God as it relates to covenant, which marriage is the ultimate example of is that Yahweh is always faithful. God is faithful. God remains present, lives up to, stands firm in, does not waver, and is always faithful. 
I think that's good news. Hallelujah, Pastor Micah. Secondly, I'll say this, that marriage, I'd be, I'd be remiss if I didn't say it, that marriage in the scriptures is a picture or an invitation to live into a picture that, is a, that we find uh, its home in or is modeled after divine love. Where God is faithful and connected to, tethered to, bound to humanity, recklessly saying yes all the time, that marriage when it works when you see that old couple who's 90 and they're like walking down the beach into the sunset and like a tear falls in your eye and Hallmark gets out their pens. Why? Why do they do that? Because there's something about that that is true and right about in the human experience. I would submit to you that when we tap into it and when it happens, what we are getting is a piece of the divine. We're seeing modeled this relationship where two things come together. Two people come together and they are literally, their lives are woven together as one. That's the beauty. That's the picture. That's the telos. God is always faithful. Now let's talk about you and me. Right? I think we can say with pretty good uh, accuracy that we are not always faithful. Which is why this conversation even happens in Scripture. That I, in my own way, choose me over you. And you, in your own way, choose you over me. And I, in my own way, choose me over my spouse. And you, in your own way, choose you over your spouse if you have one. Friends, for all kinds of reasons, we prove ourselves to be unfaithful over and over and over again. And that... Marriages end for a million different reasons. I don't think it's helpful for me to try to stand up here today and to tell you which ones are better and more legitimate than others. I don't think that's fruitful. I don't think that's helpful. What I think is helpful is to point out and to, like, in 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 a moment of deep sobriety, to say, I am unfaithful. I have been, and I am, and I will be. And that is a sobering moment. One that should give pause and, and honestly, like the recognition of sadness and sorrow and of repentance, of genuine repentance of saying, that is true about me at my worst. It is bad news, friends. And I, I repent of that, meaning I turn around. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to keep walking towards that today. I'm choosing something else right now. I'm repenting. And I think it's important as we talk about this topic and this subject that for a host of reasons, we find ourselves where we are. And as much as God is faithful, to recognize our own unfaithfulness. And to say, I repent of that. I want to go in a different direction from that. Whether you're single or married, divorced or remarried. I think that we can say that that's true. That's good, that's helpful, that is... That's centered. I also want to say, and I think this is important when we talk about this topic in church people, that you are responsible for yourself, not your neighbor. Can I say that again? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. I've preached about this all the time, right? This great question in Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel, and he says, am I my brother's keeper? And the sort of proverbial non-said answer is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. You're responsible for each other, right? In community especially, we're, we're, we're bound to one another in relationship in some ways. That's true. 
paradoxically, I'm going to hold this, this, this seemingly opposite idea right next to it, that you are not responsible for your neighbor. I will not have to answer for your choices that you make in your relationships. You will. You don't have to answer for the choices I make in my marriage, in my relationships. I do. So we would do well to put the stones down. It's highly likely that at some point along the way, you're going to need a little bit of grace and forgiveness and mercy. Amen? So as we think about each other and community and what it means to hold one another's stories, their bro our brokenness and our triumphs, could I encourage you to lead with love? As the people of God, bound together by Christ and the Spirit of God at work in us, could I encourage you to put the stones down and to lead with love and grace and humility? Because the clock is ticking until you're going to need that. You know what I'm saying? I think that's wisdom. I think that's true. I'll end with this. Divorce is never good. No two people come to the wedding day and say, yes, I'm going to get married to you, and in three years I'm going to divorce you. Right? Nobody says that. And I think it's okay for us to name the fact that what is happening is two things that were meant to be bound together in covenant faithfulness are being torn apart. And that is always broken. That always brings pain. It always brings hurt. It always brings sadness. And it's okay to name that, and it's okay to grieve that, and it's okay to stand against that and say we don't, we, we don't that's a last resort. And paradoxically, here, here we are, I'm doing this a lot today, that's true, and sometimes C.S. Lewis had this great line about a severe mercy. And I think sometimes, as a pastor of 20 years, I've walked with couples where it's gotten to the point where I said, you know what, divorce is a severe mercy. Because when something is dead, it really doesn't do us any good to keep carrying around dead things. And sometimes relationships die. And you could, call, you could go back and you could find the root and you could find the cause and you could talk about why that happened and that's all good and healthy and well. But at some point, at certain points, sometimes, relationships die. And sometimes, ending something, naming it as dead, grieving it and burying it, and then moving on is actually the best option of a lot of worse options. And I think that's okay for me to say that. I, I, I have... This has been like the hardest sermon I've written in about a year. Because I recognize that what I say matters, and this is a very serious topic, and people's, like, our lives are, are, are involved in this. And Lord have mercy on me if, like, if I'm saying anything that is not true. I mean that. But I'm also speaking from my own experience and what I believe to be true and amidst very tricky, difficult situations that we find ourselves in. So, what does that mean for us today? I could say that's all, and you would, may leave depressed. I don't want to do that. I want to leave you with this thought. One of the most famous and quoted stories about Jesus in the Gospels is from Luke chapter 15, and it's the story called the prodigal son. Why? 
Why is that story so touching? Why does that story speak so loudly over so many generations and decades? You have someone who has made a mess and made some poor choices and has squandered some things that were given to them. That's true. You've done it. I've done it. And that person comes up with all the excuses as to why they're unlovable and why they're second class and why they should only be a servant and why they shouldn't eat at the table and why they're, right? You, he does the whole speech. It's all ready to go. It's locked and loaded. He turns towards home, and what does he find? A father who says, yep, you are second class. Yep, I'm actually going to step back from you a little bit. I'm going to hold back some of my love from you. I'm going I'm to actually keep some of my goodness and pure and light and love from you. No, that is exactly the opposite of what we find. The father recklessly, like a, would have made a fool of himself, runs, rips his clothes off, runs down the aisle, finds the son, embraces the son, puts a ring on his finger and a robe on his shoulders and says, you are my son. You are my daughter who is worthy of my love, who has a seat at my table, who will find me present here in this space whenever you turn around. I think that is good news. I think that is the heart of God. I think that puts on full display what the divine is like. So for any who has ever heard a message from this pulpit or any other pulpit about you and your worth, if in fact you have been divorced or you've experienced divorce or you've been divorced or your family has divorce in it, where you have felt made to, made to feel less than, second class, little less loved, I just want to say that's just, that is a lie from the pit of hell. And I would declare it to you today. I, I would suspect that God is like this. Okay, I'm a father. It's Father's Day. I hold out to my children what I believe to be the best for them. What I hope for them. What I imagine for them. The kind of life that is fruitful and filled with joy and abundance. That's what I offer to them. And I say, move towards this. And they just muff it up all the time. You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, that's a simple one. Come on, it's not even that hard, and you're going that way. And then I say, well, you know what? I'm going to take one step back from you. You know, we're going we're gonna to make the portions at the meal a little smaller tonight. We're going to start docking points from your tip, from your allowance. I would never do that. I would be an awful, terrible, horrible human and father if I did that. Is God not any better than me? Sermon over. Let's pray. In the next few moments of silence, I want to give you an opportunity to just think through a couple of things. So maybe just in your own space, find center. Take a couple of deep breaths. Maybe you're here this morning and you've experienced divorce firsthand. I just want to ask a couple of questions. The first is, is there anything that needs to be confessed? Is there anything left on the table? Is there anything that hasn't been said that maybe needs to be said? Is there anything that you might need to bring to a kind and compassionate, loving God who is slow to anger and rich in love, who is always faithful and seems to be recklessly saying yes to you every time you turn towards God.
Is there anything you might need to say? Is there anything you might need to hear from God this morning? You are loved. You are mine. You are my beloved, the one I keep pursuing. Today, there's a fresh start because my mercy is new every morning. And it's new today. And it's yours. Receive it. Drink it in like a cold cup of water. Receive it. Claim it as yours. Maybe you've been secondhand to divorce in your family. Maybe a parent or a grandparent or a brother or a sister. Is there anything you need to hear this morning? or receive it's not your fault your worth is not the sum of someone else's choices your value is not tied up in that event And maybe is there anything you need to offer? Anything you might need to say to bring before God, to bring before the person? Maybe an encouragement, maybe a word of forgiveness, maybe something hard that needs to be said, but said in love. Holy Spirit, move and speak, I pray. There's a lot of things we don't know about God, but we know this, that Jesus said, if you're going to pray, this might be a good place to start. And so I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's the Lord's Prayer. Christians have been praying it for a very, very long time. And so this morning, while it may be fresh and new in some ways, we step into a stream that has been happening for a very long time. So together with our voice and the voices of those who've come before us and those who will likely come after us, pray this with me if you will. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Do not let us fall into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to close with two songs that are were chosen because they, they, I think, speak to our intent or our hope. This invitation that God is constantly giving to abide, to come and rest, to take up residence, to reside in God's love. And then this hope that for anyone for whom it feels like, it feels dark, that there might be a light that you would find and that it would lead you home.
as we sing, our prayer space is always available. Um, you're welcome to use that. But uh, I invite you to receive these songs or to sing along with them, whatever you feel uh, you need to do. So, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. So in our marriages, God work, heal, restore, resurrect, bring new life. Teach us, show us what it means to be sacrificial, to say yes to other before ourselves. May they model, may they look like your love for us, I pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said together, amen. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.